Hey everybody, welcome back to We Talk Photo, our podcast about all things photography. I am one of your hosts, John Peterson, and with me as always is Mr. Jack Graham. How you doing today, Jack? I'm doing great, and I'm so excited to introduce for you to introduce our guest today. For one me of my, to introduce. Well, yeah, my- so so that's the coolest thing about today's show is that we have an amazing person on our program today. Great guy. Absolutely incredible photographer, and I'll, I'll give him one of the simplest introductions, which is he is a black and white photographer, as simple as that. And if you ever go out and see his work, you'll see that his work is strong, it's simple, it's poignant, and it is just incredible to look at. So with that, I'd like to welcome Cole Thompson to the program. Hey, Cole. Gentlemen, thank you for having me. It Thanks is for our, being here. Our- our honor. We have never met. I think Jack, you and I have communicated before. We probably have mutual friends. But... Cole, um, we were both on the same beach in Bandon about two or three years ago. Did we say hi? No. <laughs> you were down at one end. I could see you with your group, and I was down at my end with my group. And I was trying to find a way to get down to say hello. But I had, I think I had a pretty needy group that time, and I, I, I couldn't break away. But we almost made it, and it was uh, real foggy. And then I think you disappeared. I couldn't see you. And it was a morning at really low tide. And I know, no, it's you've been there many times. But we almost met. Yeah, uh, Bannon's a wonderful place. That's one of my favorites. You know, it's my my favorite beach on the West Coast. And I will tell you that I am I am not a I'm not an exclusive black and white photographer. I, I shoot a lot of black and white because I, I love what Acros does, the film simulation in my Fuji film camera. Um, but I don't think I'll ever take a color photograph on Bandon Beach again. It just doesn't <laughs> speak to me at all in color. That yeah. beach just doesn't do it in color. It just doesn't. I don't well, love it. Nothing does it for me in color anywhere. <laughs> I am like 100% black and white. Yeah, yeah, just, you know, for the people who don't know you, and I think you've done a few podcasts, I hope people have listened to, to them, and, and if they don't know who you are, just take us through, um, you know, what you'd like everybody to know about you. I think I know what you're going to say, and it's going to be a, a great little few minutes. Listen well, up, folks. You know, I think my start began when I was, uh, my father was stationed in, uh, Rochester, New York, and I was 14 years old, and I went out for a hike one day and with a friend, and we stumbled across this old ruin of a house, and my friend told me that it had once been owned by George Eastman, and of course, back then, Kodak still ruled the waves, and so that piqued my interest, and went to the school library, checked out his biography, and just started reading, and uh, just in reading that book, I fell in love with photography, and was just had this overwhelming feeling that my destiny was to be a photographer. And I had never yet taken a picture or experienced that magic moment of seeing your first print come up in the the developer. But I just felt that way, and I still do. And so for the next 10 years, my life was 100%, literally every waking moment, learning everything I could about photography. And uh, I just, you know, I, I, I bathed myself in the works of the great masters, and was drawn to a very particular type of work, very dark work, 
uh, very contrasty work. The work of Bullock and Adams, Weston, uh, Strand, Caponegro, all of the greats. And um, but then you know, I was getting ready to go to RIT when I got of age, and uh, just something one day said to me, if I did this for a living, I wouldn't enjoy it as much. I would lose my passion for it because it might just become a job. So instead, I went into business for most of my career. And uh, during much of that time, uh, with the responsibilities of five children and uh, running a business, I just really didn't have any time for photography. And then in about 2004, as my kids were getting older and I was starting to have some more free time, and digital came out and it just really caught my interest, I picked up the camera again. And uh, so really my second half of my life career there began in 2004. And it's just been my passion all of my life, but now I have actually had time to do it. Fantastic. Well, you know, it, it, there's something to be said for uh, for not uh, needing to make a living. I see people um, running workshops, as you probably see in the field, who are, uh, you know, they're not. I, I just just see people who aren't delivering a product the way they should be, and they're kind of skating. They're not. They're not doing for people what I think they should be doing, and. Uh, and I think it comes down to the fact that you know they're in it to 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 make a make a lot of money. I don't know how you do that in this business, but <laughs> you know, I think the financial end of things can really inhibit your your uh, your creativity a lot. I really do. Really well, for do. most of my life, I considered myself a photographer, and I was technically oriented, and I didn't feel I had any creativity. And it wasn't until I returned starting in about 2006, 2008, but I started actually discovering my vision and becoming a creative photographer. Now, I, I, I like to say that I think of myself as an artist who uses photography, and I like to create an image versus taking a picture. Yep. And uh, one of the benefits of not working for a living as a photographer is that I really don't have to please anyone but myself. Uh, I don't need the sales, so if I produce some work that I love but no one else does, I'm okay with that. So it gives me a certain amount of freedom. That's the formula. That, that's it. It's not easy to do. It's quite simple. But the formula is to you know put your emotion, put your own experiences, your own uh, you know your own life into where you are now, and and. It takes time, you know. It, it, uh, my friend Bill Fortney tells a story about a, a doctor that came up to him and said, I love how you teach. I love your work. Can you mentor me? And I think the guy was about 70 years old. And Bill said, how old are you? And he said, 70. <laughs> I don't think you have the time. You know, my background, Kalana Finunas, is in music. And, you know, it used to be back in the day, we'd study and we'd practice and we'd study with great musicians and great teachers and then we'd fail and we'd pick ourselves up and then we'd get a little further and we'd fail again and we'd practice again and we'd fail again uh, i'm not sure that that's the the norm anymore i don't know maybe it's just because i'm i'm getting up there and uh in uh, an age and i'm getting a little more cynical or something. I don't know. But. There's great value in failure. Uh, and I do wonder sometimes, you know, they talk about helicopter parents, and now they're talking about 
bulldozer parents who try to remove all obstacles from their children. And, I mean, there is great lessons to be learned. You only get that real, I guess, commitment once you've failed and learned an important lesson. It's, and it's I've the best teacher my, in life. It really yeah, is. I, I removed myself yeah. from social media. I, 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 and I don't even know this, but I almost guarantee you, Cole, that you're not on social media. Uh, very, very little. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, yeah. Cole, let me ask you, you know, when, when before we started the show here, you uh, you described yourself as the most un, unqualified photographer and and it, you went on around that, which was which was kind of humorous, but kind of true. And I, and I think it speaks a little bit to your passion around, you know, you're not classically trained in any particular way, shape or form. So you're also not bound by that training, like, the you know, the rules and the formulas and the da 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 da. You follow your heart and you follow your passion. Yeah, I, I think it's a blessing. I am completely self-taught and was fortunate to have never learned the rules of photography. Uh, I, I have an experience that I talked about. I was exhibiting my uh, ancient stones portfolio in, a, in an exhibition down in Boulder, Colorado, when a woman came up and stood next to me and pointed to one of the images and said, you know, that doesn't follow the rule of thirds. And then she pointed to another and she says, and you should never put your horizon on the center line. And I was astounded that she couldn't see the images that only could see rules followed or not followed. And so I came up with my own, what I call Cole's rule of thirds. And it is that a great image consists of one-third vision, one-third the shot, and one-third the processing. But it's the vision that is driving the shot and driving the processing. Without the vision, you can create a technically perfect image, but it will be soulless. So I'm a big believer in vision, and I say if you have vision, you don't need any rules. In fact, i got to tell you, I don't even know what the rule of thirds is, and I'm being serious. I have no idea, and I'm so grateful I never learned them. Yeah. Well, you, you know, I just want to see the photographs. I don't yeah. care how they're made, what they're made with. They do, and if they're if they speak to me, then then that's a that's a great thing. And frankly, you know, um, whether they whether whether I like them or not, it's not even really important. It's whether the creator likes them. You exactly know, whether you like. right, boy. That that is so true. And that's I think the biggest hindrance to people finding their vision is they're not creating for self. They're creating for wins, for likes, for ribbons, for uh, social media applause uh, or for sales, but I think those are all false gods. I think you have to please yourself is the only chance you have of creating something honest and something real. Well, John, you know, let's uh, let's spend a few minutes talking to Cole about maybe um, you know some of the techniques he uses in terms of the, 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 you know, the contrast and the darkness that he was talking about. Cole, could you go into that a little bit? And what, what, what is it that, that, um, gave you that kind of, you know, uh, uh, energy to use that over another, another, another way to take your photographs? I don't know why I love dark images. I don't think my images are dark in the sense of, you know, emotionally dark or anything. 
no just yeah. love a lot of black with a, a bright subject or a lot of contrast. And, you know, for so many years, people would say, oh, you got to open up your shadows. And I never wanted to open up my shadows. I wanted them closed. And I just love an image that's just, it just hits you. And it, I think that adds to the simplicity of my images that I do a lot of dodging and burning to just create those stark images. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I th- you know, Cole, your the the amount of blacks and darks in your images, I think, really gives a lot of visual weight to your images, which really, for me, reinforces the simplicity. And I'm glad you used that word because that's one of the things that really struck me about your portfolio is is the simplicity of your images. But that doesn't mean that they're easy or not moving. They're simple, but they're extremely strong. And and I think a lot of that comes from the visual weight and and the vision that you use in in uh, in creating these images. Yeah, you know, I, there's a lot of work to make an image simple. I use a lot of burning to burn down detail. I use long exposures a lot to remove a lot of detail from water or skies. All of which I think helps me simplify the image. Yep. And and just the absence of color helps to simplify sometimes the, the, the voice that you're trying to portray through that image. Um, you know, color can be really distracting and, and that's where black and white for me, it's all about form and function and shape and texture. Right. There's nothing to hide behind when you've got a black and white image. If you don't got a good composition, uh, it's going to be immediately apparent. Yes. Cole, I think that folks would also like to, you know, I, I hate to, I know we don't talk about gear, and one of the reasons is for the reason I think your answer is going to be so important and interesting. Tell everybody what you use or what you don't use, I guess is a better question, um, to make your, your, your photographs. Well, Everything I own is in a single bag, and it's just a camera, three lenses, and really a set of ND filters. That's primarily, almost exclusively what I use. Uh, of course, a tripod, because I do a lot of long exposure. But uh, and, and, you know, my post-processing is equally as simple. I use Photoshop, and I use six steps in my post-processing. Uh, it's about the simplest post-processing routine you can use. I don't use layers. I don't even know how to do layers. I don't use curves. I don't use plugins. I don't use any of uh, these conversion programs for black and white. It's just very six very simple steps that largely uses dodging and burning the way I worked in the darkroom. You know, as as you started that answer, uh, what what I was laughing about, Cole, was I was reading your blog the other day, and, and uh, I think you had a post about 10 things to not do and one of them was um, don't talk about specifications of an image. And, and underneath a picture, you had footnoted it with your camera bag and your tripod. And that was as much as you would give about the image. And that just made me laugh out loud. Well, I'd also tell the story about the image I had. I don't know. It's maybe submitted it to a magazine or something. They were going to publish it. But they insisted on the specifications. And I resisted. And they said, basically, you got to have specs. We don't publish it. So I put down the tripod, how long I had to let the legs out and what distance they were apart and sent those in. <laughs> and they never said anything and they did publish the image. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, yeah, back I, in 
back in the nineties, um, when outdoor photography was like the thing to read and we, you know, when I was really trying to learn what, what was going on, I still am, but you know, every image had the F stop and the shutter speed. And I once asked John Shaw, I said, uh, so you shot this at F11. He goes, I don't know what I shot in that. And he goes, well, it says right here. He goes, let me tell you something. He goes, nobody took a, took a record of what we shot in that. What, we, what they wanted, we just guessed at it. So it's probably not even accurate. Just yeah, before digital, we didn't remember. It wasn't no. important because no. gear and settings don't make a great image. Not at all. Yeah, I, I tell that story. I think you guys have heard it before, too. Uh, and I can't think of who tell Sam Haskins tells the story about a uh, famous New York photographer who was invited to dinner by a wealthy socialite. And she greeted him warmly at the door and said, I love your work. You must have a fantastic camera. And he said nothing. And then at the end of the meal, he thanked her and said, that was delicious. You must have a wonderful stove. Yeah. <laughs> we would never think a stove makes a great meal. But sometimes the way we act, it's like if I only had this camera, this lens, this whatever, I could do great work. Right. Where, where do you where where's I know you live in 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 the West and in, in Colorado um, is most you do travel quite a bit. Uh, do you like to use your local area for most of your work, or where where do you like to go? I mean, where's and and that's probably a very general question. Maybe it's 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 not specific enough. But do you have a favorite area to go or? Well, I rarely create near home simply because I'm one of these OCD guys. And if I'm near home, all I can do is think about the list of things. I live on a ranch, the things I need to do. And I just can't free my mind. So I travel just because when I'm somewhere isolated, I have nothing to think about except photography. And I like creating like that. So I search the globe for the most isolated locations and I go there where I will be away from people, the Faroe Islands or Easter Island or Newfoundland. And I just go to be isolated where I can think only about creating. So it, it doesn't matter where I go as long as it's isolated. You'll never catch me in a city doing my work. Yeah. So, Cole, you, you also shoot a lot in series, so like a, a thematic series of images. Can you talk a little bit about why why the series philosophy and what inspires you to do those? Well, for the longest time, I didn't. Uh, I just created one-hit wonders. I called myself a photographic grazer, and I resisted working in series. I just said I like to graze. I like to go where the grass is greener. And I did create some good one-hit wonders, but there was nothing cohesive about the images. Well, one year, I decided to submit work to lens work. And uh, the the submission guidelines are pretty simple. Send him 15 to 25 images on a single subject. And he says, don't send me your greatest hits. Well, I was rather full of myself. And I thought, well, he's never seen my greatest hits. And so off they went. And they came back within like three or four days with this big hand scrawled note that said, pick one image and send me 15 on that subject. And that was the kick I needed to do my very first portfolio, which was grain silos. And ironically, when I submitted them, he had in that month's issue, they were publishing Larry Blackwood's grain silos. And so Brooks said, you know, I'd love to publish them. But ironically, here we have 
And I told him, Larry and I are friends, and we didn't know we were each working on Grain Silo series. So we ended up doing a fellow travelers series on it about how we both created similar work unbeknownst to each other and published both of our works. So that was the first time I had done a series. And I became hooked because now when I went out, I had this purpose and this drive. I wasn't just wandering aimlessly. And now when I run out of a series, I just hate it. Because, you know, I just miss that purpose. So I've just, everything I've done since then has been in a series. Do you, do you find that uh, even when you're not shooting, if you, if you don't shoot in a series, if you're just out photographing, um, do you find that it changed the way you take individual images? Did it help yeah, grow it, you as an artist, I guess, is what I'm... It, it puts the pressure on me as I'm out shooting. Let's say I, I finished all my series. Uh, I'm out shooting now looking for something that will inspire me and give me the passion to start a new series. I can't do a contrived series. I have to have something grab me, hit me, and say, go. Uh, that's how the ceiling lamps came about. That's how the Auschwitz images came about. That's how the fair, uh, portraits of the Moy and the uh, Easter Island came about. They were moments of inspiration that grabbed me and I just ran. So how how was that Auschwitz experience for you? Not to get too dark on that subject, but those are really moving images. Um, I have to tell the story if that's all right. Sure. I was visiting my son in Ukraine. Uh, he was serving in the Peace Corps, and my wife and I had gone out to visit him. And I had completed a project over in Ukraine called uh, Ukrainians with Eyes Shut. And then the family decided to go over next door to Poland. So we went to Krakow. And we were discussing what we wanted to do as a family. And I knew the death camps were nearby, but I don't want to see them. Uh, I don't read sad stories. I don't go to sad movies. and I don't want to go to Auschwitz. But the family voted and off we went. Well, I was getting, we took a tour. So we were on a tour bus and I was getting off the bus and I was going to leave my gear on board because I just thought it would be inappropriate to, to photograph there, perhaps irreverent or sacrilegious, maybe. And the bus driver saw that and said, no, I'm, I won't be responsible. And he forced me to take my gear along. Hmm. So we begin the tour. And the first thing we do on this tour is you look at this book where on the left is a very, very beautiful black and white photograph of a person they've imprisoned. And on the right, in beautiful penmanship, is this description, their family name, uh, their family home, their possessions, everything about them. And you're looking at this book, and your head's kind of swimming, saying, why are they so beautifully documenting someone they're going to either work to death or gas? Then we went into this next room, the room with the iconic piles we've seen in pictures. There's a pile of human hair that they use to stuff pillows with. There's a pile of glasses then there's a pile of bridge work that they've yanked from the mouths of the dead. And I'm not claustrophobic, but I, at this point, I just can't breathe being inside that room. And so I signaled to the family that I'm going outside for some air and that they should continue. And we're, I'm outside and just walking around, looking at my feet, trying to get my breath. And I just started thinking about my feet, where, where, where I'm stepping. Who else had taken that same path on the way to the gallows? or those same footsteps on the way to the gas chamber. So as I'm thinking about this, I'm wondering, just metaphorically, if the spirits of those people who lived and died at Auschwitz still lingered. And then this thought just hit me that I needed to photograph those spirits, the ghosts of those people. 
And so I just, I had 45 minutes left on the tour at Auschwitz, and then we were going to spend an hour in Birkenau. And I just started running from location to location, using long exposure to photograph the other guests and to turn them into ghosts. They stood in proxy for those who had lived and died there. And so in an hour and 45 minutes, I created that series in a moment of pure inspiration. And that's how I like to work, when something strikes me that gives me passion, and, and I just go for it. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And, you know, it, I think the lesson for a lot of folks is listen, listen to your gut. And, you know, Jack always, always kind of preaches about slowing down. And part of that slowing down when you're in the field is listening, listening to what's going on inside of you to see that or, or to try to feel that inspiration. I agree. You. Yeah. And I think another lesson for me is I hear so many people who say they can't express their creative side until they've learned their technical side. And they mm -hmm. spend it seemingly most of their life learning an endless stream of technical things that they, as Weston said, that they don't know what to do with. So I say, find your vision first and then learn the skills needed to exercise, to execute that vision. I had no idea at the time how to create ghosts, but I had that vision in my head what it would look like. And so I just tried it and made it work. But I never let the technical obstacles stop me. Yeah, good lesson. I think I think one of your other series that really uh, kind of moved me as a landscape guy is uh, the Harbinger series, which, which for those folks, I would encourage you to go out definitely look at Cole's site and look through his different series. But the Harbinger series is uh, uh, well, I'll let you kind of describe it, Cole. It's okay. Well, I was out photographing with my son. We were doing a father and son trip, and as anybody who's photographed with family knows, that's difficult. And we were out in uh, eastern Utah, and I saw these great mud hills, and it's about 105 out. So my son starts moaning and complaining about me stopping because he knows it's going to be a while. And so I'm out photographing these mud hills, and he's all the time complaining, can we go? How much longer? You said 10 minutes, 10 minutes ago. And the image I was working on was interesting, but it lacked something. So I finally just gave in to my son, and I said, okay, fine, let's go back to the truck. So we're getting almost back to the truck, and I just glance back at those hills, and I see this single cloud moving quickly across the landscape, and I could see in just a minute it would be over that those centered mud hills that I had been photographing. So I yelled to him, we're going back, and we ran back up the hill, and I got my tripod out, got my gear out, got one shot. It was my Moonrise Hernandez shot, one shot, and it was that single cloud over those mud hills. And I always name my series the first word that pops into my mind, and it was Harbinger, an omen of things to come. And people love this, the image, and would always ask me, are you going to do a series on it? And I'd just laugh because, I mean, I thought to myself, what are the chances of finding single clouds in interesting scenes? But as I've been looking for them, I've, I've been working on that thing probably since 08, I believe, and uh, I've found a few. And it's one of my favorite series, just a single start cloud over something interesting. Yeah, and it's it's really, uh, again, it's that, it's that simplicity um, of these images with a spire and a single cloud over the top. And it's, and it's <coughs> carried through the entire series. Uh, and it's incredible. Yeah. 
All right. I think we got Jack back. Jack had a little technical difficulty. Are you back with us now, Jack? Yeah, I had a horrible technical difficulty. I pulled a cord out of the bottom of my microphone. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Behind the but, scenes you know, of well, We Talk Photo. Yeah, well, that's okay. When you when you when you hit the uh, hit hit my age, or God knows that'd be the easiest thing you could do. But I did hear everything, and I, oh, you I, did. I, oh, it was it was amazing. Hey, I, I have a question. Um, how many times have you been to Easter Island? Uh, once I was supposed to go back here soon, but it kind of you know got derailed by Mr. Virus. Yeah, I, I, I'm amazed that, you know, I, I got to tell you, I I have to go back a couple times before usually I get anything good when I go to somewhere for the first time. I can't believe your work on Easter Island. It was just, it's just, just super. I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff from there, but I, I guess maybe because what I've seen was complicated. Yours is not. And, and it's just, it's just really, really amazing stuff. It was a childhood dream to go there. And I never believed that I could. And my wife and I once were just listing our bucket list items. And I just offhandedly said to her, I'd love to go to Easter Island, but of course that's impossible. And she asked me a very astute question. Why? <laughs> and so the next year off we went. Yeah, why? That's uh, oftentimes we're we're our most limiting factor to ourselves, both creatively as well as just logistically. Of why not go to Easter Island? Yeah, yeah, it's and, it's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's not owned, the fate of wallet, but uh, it's it's doable. It's owned by Ecuador, am I correct? Uh, um, uh, Chile. Oh, Chile. Okay. Yeah, I think Ecuador yeah. has the uh, Galapagos, don't they? They have the Galapagos. I think yeah. so. Is it is is there a lot of photographers that go there? I mean, I, I used to see a lot of stuff from there. I don't seem to see a whole lot anymore. Well, to open up a can of worms, uh, I don't know because I don't look at other photographers' work. So I never have seen any other images from Easter Island other than Thor Heyerdahl's from his book Aku Aku. <laughs> back in the 60s. Uh-huh. Talk to us about that. Well, I recognize... That's a very that interesting concept. Yes, I, I recognize that it's a terribly unpopular concept, but uh, when I was struggling to find out if I had a vision and if I had any creativity in me, I didn't really know how to go about finding vision. I didn't really even understand the word fully. I didn't know if it was a look or a style or a talent. I didn't know if it was something that some people had and others didn't. And so I was really just kind of winging it, and I came up with these 10 ideas that I was going to do to help me find out if I had a vision. And one of them was that I was going to stop immersing myself in the images of other people and trying to help me see for myself. And so for two years in that time it took me to find my vision, I stopped looking at other people's work. Just solely, I didn't want to immerse myself because I tended to be rather repetitive and I copied others, their ideas, their looks. And I've been, I've continued it ever since. It's been more than 12 years and I still, for me, find it a useful tool to keeping my vision pure and trying to keep my work honest. Hmm. And I, and I, I get it. Nobody, 
I, rarely do people agree. And I've even had people get angry with me. Uh, I had a guy stand up once in one of my presentations and he said, you do what? Uh, I said, well, I don't look at other people's work. And he goes, why would you possibly do that? And he goes, I get great pleasure out of looking at other people's work. And I said, well, I do too. But I care about finding my vision more than that pleasure. And that's the only yeah, answer I, I could give. I had, a, I had a workshop attendee one time. It was toward the end of a year. And and he uh, said to me, uh, I said, what you, what's your New Year's resolutions? I was kidding. And he goes, well, next year I'm going to find my vision. That's what he told me. I said, well, here's the deal. Um, your vision will find you. <laughs> you're not going to find it. If you're going to develop it all of a sudden after many years of whatever it takes, it will find you and you'll, you'll move on and move ahead. And that's the way it's going to be. I, I think that if you, people put too much pressure on doing that, I think you have to let go and let it, uh, just let it happen. You know, you do. And, but you also have to be in touch and in tune with, what's going on inside of you, right? Get out of your head and start feeling your heart. And that's where I think a lot of this vision comes from is from your soul. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people have what I call vision blockers. Uh, I believe everyone has a vision. And I, in fact, I say you can't not have a vision, but we have these blockers. They're almost like sunglasses that stop us from seeing. And they're things like caring what other people think of our work. Fear of criticism, trying to win likes, trying to impress the local judge in your camera club. All these things that take the focus off of our heart and what's inside of us and trying to please external people. And I, those vision blockers will stop you from ever finding it unless you can get rid of them. That's what I believe. Yeah, I, I, um, I think that people have heard my opinion on camera clubs, and that's why I don't get called to do anything for them um i think they're great places to hang out with people who like to take photographs but i think they're counterproductive in terms especially the ones that are competitive yeah um, in terms of growing as a as an artist you know and i agree completely and that's why i love speaking to them jack because i take a message of quit trying to please a judge quit trying yeah. to please quit listening to another person listen yeah. to yourself and yeah. a lot of times I ruffle feathers, but I think there's, I always hope there's people in that audience who feel like I felt 10 years ago. They want more than earning likes and winning ribbons. They're, they're missing it and they don't know what it is. Many years ago, uh, I was talking somewhere and someone asked, why do you like the photograph? And it was a great question because I, I, I had never really thought about that deeply. And I said, well, I can't really probably answer that here because I really have to put a lot of thought in it. But what I can tell you is what I, I can tell you what I don't care about. And I don't care about my photographs. <laughs> and, you know, I said, well, I kind of do. But, you know, it's it's really to me, uh, you know, if I come home with some couple of good photographs, yeah, I mean, I want to do that. But the experience and where I get to go and what I get to do and the, getting to do these podcasts and talk to people like you and hang out with, with, with you know, with John and, and other people. And, you know, that's what it's all to me. That's what it's all about. Mm, and the experience, huh? Why I got out of 
social media. I, I, and it's just, it's horrible. It is. You know, for, and, and more, more than that, it's hard to uh, eliminate all the non-photography craziness that's going on in the world that's reflected in social media. And I just don't need that attitude right now. And, and, uh, I just don't want to deal with it. I, I rather look at, you know, I, I do look at other people's work and Cole, you're one of the people I look at. Cause it's like, what did Cole do now? I, I like to look up there. I've been doing that way before we did this podcast and way before we even knew each other. And, and, uh, I really, really admire what you do. Thank you. Um, Cole, are you going to be, I know we have the COVID thing going on right now, but are you going to be out and about, uh, doing any presentations or anything that people might want to go see what you're, what you're up to? Yeah. Everything's been canceled as far as in-person things. Yeah. It's a real shame. I, you know, I do two workshops a year to help John Barkley out because he and I are good (laughs) friends and, uh, we are going to do January in Death Valley, which is We'll see if the virus is going to let us, but right now it's on. Well, I talked to Guy Talley yesterday, and he's going to be down here with Michael Gordon in December. So it wow. sounds like uh, they're going to be down there, and they said they have a, enough people to to make it happen. So I We're hope, doing out uh, of Chicago right afterwards, too, in Death Valley. Yeah, I hope it all works out. Death Valley might be a busy place this winter. I don't know. It's usually pretty uh, uh, pretty sparse in January and December. It's that's kind of why I like it. Of course, the yeah. not being 120 helps too. Yeah. How do you find Death Valley to photograph? Then is it? Do you find it a challenge more than say? Oh, I don't know. So many other places you go to. No, I, I, I truthfully I spend most of my time on the dunes, and that's really almost uh-huh. exclusively what I've been shooting the last few yeah. years. I always found Death Valley. It took me a day to kind of getting the zone down there because you know you're looking for patterns and shapes and you really have to get your your head uh in the right spot to, and start seeing you know and sometimes it takes you it takes me a day to get into into that, that mode you know well where's your preferred type of uh i guess landscapes that you like well you know i don't know i mean i i i, I live in the pacific northwest so I, I spent a lot of time in olympic and i spent a lot of time I mean, uh, up at Rainier and in, in Oregon, you know, and uh, I do get to the Smoky Mountains a couple times a year. And I get to the T- I go to the Tetons in December when nobody's there. And it's it's a great time to be there. So but uh, I'm getting like you, I, I, you know, the less people, the better, you know, I've so. never been to the Pacific Northwest. And I really would like to see that. Well, you have a place to go and a place to stay. And <laughs> thank I, you. Love to show you around, so it'd yeah. be my honor. John, you have anything else you want to hit on before we put a put a nail in things here? Other than just a, you know, I'll plug a little bit of Cole's stuff. One of the one of the things that you did, Cole, that I really like is the story behind the image, where you'll take a few of your images and and tell a story about why and how you created that image. What gave you the inspiration to do that? Someone asked me that the other day, and I don't really remember. It might have been my web designer, uh, um, oh, Ellis from, uh, oh, shoot, um, Steve Ellis, I think. Steve, maybe. Steve, your website? 
Uh, he started it and got me in touch with the, uh, he did the basic layout and then put me in touch with a, a web designer who did it. But yeah, Steve. Cool. And I think Good. maybe Steve was the one because he might have heard my story that I tell frequently of the angel Gabriel. And I think he encouraged me to do others. Oh, yeah, good, it's really good. fascinating just to hear about how how you went about making an image. You know, and that, the Angel Gabriel one is is uh, really fun to listen to. I mean, it's a beautiful image. Yeah, got a whole page of them now. So yeah, yeah people cool. seem to like them. So that's all good. It's all good. We'll all call. Good. I want to. I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of uh, out of your uh, your your ranch work. Yeah, really. and, uh, most of my work now is homeschooling my grandchildren, you know, because oh, they're actually stuck at home. So that's what I'm doing. Good for you. Common core math. There you go. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm sure they're good. If nothing else, they may walk out being good photographers. If they mm. run after all. So, but at any rate, I want to just really thank you for taking some time. And folks, uh, please go look at. Um, look at Cole's work and uh, you'll see what we're talking about here. Um, John, I'm going to, uh, we haven't even talked about this, but Cole will get you to maybe uh, we can put some show notes up and uh, maybe throw a couple images up. John, you can deal with that with Cole mm-hmm. and uh, that way our listeners can, uh, can uh, partake of that. Um, we do want to let everybody know that if you have any comments or questions, uh, you can email us at um, John, given the email address that we talk photo. We talk photo at gmail.com. Simple and sweet. Yep. And obviously, you know, our websites, you can subscribe on all the big uh, web uh, podcast uh, sites. And uh, with what, uh, Cole, thank you again, man. It was just been a, it, the time went really fast here. And, and uh, maybe we can uh, run into each other here sooner rather than later and, like I say, you always have a invitation to come up and see us up uh, up here where it's where it's green, where it's yeah. green, and turns out some great great black and white photographs. Thank you so much for having me and taking the time to invite me. I appreciate it. Okay, folks, we'll we'll see you next time. All right, see you later, folks. Bye bye. Bye bye.